Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. All right, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the Established Church, done by Established Church Pastors. As you heard there in the introduction, uh, Micah, Sam, and I, Josh King, are your hosts today. We've got a number of topics that we are so excited to start recording on. Today we're going to be talking about something in the news. It's not something that we typically do, but uh, we're going to take something right off of the headlines, rip it out of there, and bring it into the church, which is a which is a good practice to have anyways. But uh, Micah and Sam, guess what? You're supposed to say what? 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 This is Am our I... 25th episode. So that's a, that's a mile marker. Yeah. That's like a silver episode, right? I have no idea. Is this the paper anniversary? It would be, it would be the silver episode. How many? Episode. Yeah. Well, well, we're going to be talking about giant silver tubes in the sky that fly. We're talking about. <laughs> do we get what was it? Forty pieces of silver. Do we do we get that at all for Gosh. for doing this episode? Is it forty or thirty? One's 30? good. One's bad. I, I should probably know that, right? <laughs> I I don't know what you're referring to. Um, we are in Easter week, so maybe everybody's brains are on Easter topics and Easter services. But today, the topic that we are ripping off of the headlines is, I don't know if you've heard, but United Airlines is under a little bit of scrutiny because of a transaction gone wrong. Micah, you want to set this story up for us? You know some of the numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, just so, you know, there was an experience with an air, with an airline flight on United Airline outside of, uh, in Chicago earlier this week. Um, the flight was full, and of course the, the word is that the flight was overbooked. From what I understand, the flight was not actually overbooked. It was just full, and then once the passengers had boarded, um, they realized that they had, I believe, four United employees that needed to be on the flight to catch a flight at their destination. And so they, after trying to get volunteers, they were unsuccessful getting volunteers, increasingly offering more voucher money. I think $800 was the largest amount they offered and were unable to get volunteers. They finally um, started doing what they call involuntary, uh, involuntary um, you know, deboarding or unboarding or something along those lines involuntarily taking people off the flight. The thing that's odd about it is that they waited to do it until some of the people were on the plane. And so one gentleman, a doctor from Louisville, Kentucky, was involuntarily chosen to be removed from the flight. He objected and refused. And so they finally called airport security, which physically removed him from the flight. And in doing so, you know, if you've seen the video online, I have, uh, he's got blood on his face and rather aggressive and loud as as they take him drag him down the aisle of the plane and of course the ramifications have not been small for united they've been they didn't handle it real well on social media their ceo and others didn't handle it real well and they've lost incredible value in the stock market i saw something i, I yesterday afternoon that's either yesterday afternoon or this morning that said their total loss now in value was 1.4 billion dollars i know at one point it was 800 wow. million but the last I heard was $1.4 billion. I, I 
It's actually a graph posted um, yesterday, I believe it was, that I've got here that I was looking at. But nonetheless, monster problem for um, for United that mm. is not going to be easily overcome. So, yeah, there's no. the situation, Josh. All right, well, that sets it up. For clarity, though, so one of the, the big – and I think that this will help us when we're talking about this. So we're going to – Sam, uh, Micah, and I, we, we wanted to talk about this topic from a leadership standpoint, also a service standpoint. So you've got all sorts of issues with United making a – what we could classify as a leadership decision. We've got people who some were – some complied. There were four people selected. Two people got off, and some people complied. I think it was at least two um, complied with the decision. But for clarity's sake, the actual video, which is so uh, enraging or emotion-evoking, uh, depicts a, a couple of officers removing the guy from his window seat, which is not its not even easy to get out of the window seat by yourself, but let alone pull a person out of the window seat. That was not actually United employees, was it? That was Chicago. Oh, that was Chicago, Chicago PD. Yeah, Chicago okay. PD. That was the airport PD. But yeah, at the request of United. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the cops are just doing their job. I mean, I understand that, you know, personally, I, they got told to do something. They had to go do it. And, right. you, you know, I mean, you could you can make an argument about where policies followed. And I think the police department's investigating all of that. But I, I personally, I think the vast majority of the blame falls on United, not not the police officers. Hmm. No think the police officers are to, are to blame yeah i'm with you there um i think Which, I, I gotta disagree. i gotta say this yeah okay well, let me say this first okay this is this is very important so it was my wife's friend who took the video oh really yeah because my wife's from louisville i went to high school in louisville i was in the corporate world in louisville and um yeah so aaron told me about this video on her facebook page and i was just like oh okay i'll, I'll have to watch it honey and uh, <laughs> later that afternoon, everybody I'm like, watched it. Because <laughs> my wife never watches the news, and I'm, you know, I'm like, she picked up on this before I did, which is a little <laughs> different. And lo and behold, yeah, it was it was my my wife's friend, I think from high school back yeah. in the day when uh, when she went to high school. Yeah, they. So um, I got to see it before anybody else. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So the um, so I guess where my pushback, we're just setting the story up. We'll talk about leadership here in just a second, but. My pushback a little bit is I'm not seeing a lot of rage personally against the, oh, just what I would call just the ignorant policy of removing paying customers so that some of your employees, it's a hub, Chicago, surely, surely United has another plane that they can put four employees on to get down to Louisville or wherever it was that they were going. There's there's just a bunch of policies, but I'm not seeing a lot of people yell as much about that as they are yelling about the physically removing the guy. He hits his face, he starts bleeding, and they don't help the guy in any way. They don't pause for just a second. I don't know. I've been roughhousing with my kids before, and one of them bumps their face. We don't just keep playing. We don't just You just stop for a second and say, are you okay? Even if he's being obnoxious to you. I think that would have de-escalated a lot of this. And so I'm not, of course, at all blaming the police to blame all Chicago PD for one guy, it's just ignorant in its own right. But I'm maybe that guy should have paused a little bit and said, calm down just here. And and so I think the majority of the blame, not blame, but the outrage seems to be leveled towards that one man who was removing the guy, who is not a United employee. That's I, all I'm I trying to point out. 
I think, I mean, from what I've seen, the vast majority of it has been directed at United, um, you know, just for the way they've, and I, I actually would argue United's, the the vast majority of the blame falls in United's lap, and a little bit of the blame, fall, not, you know, some of the blame falls in the man's lap. I mean, I look, I'm sympathetic, and he's a doctor, and he's trying to get back to his patients. I, I get all of that. But when you're, you know, when you're flying on an airline and they tell you to do something, you do it. And uh, you don't like it. And I've been inconvenienced. I've had flights canceled. And, again, I'm not trying to say he's the one who deserves all the blame. I, I get it. United is predominantly to blame here. But, anyway, the, mm. the bigger question, Josh, is what does all of this have to do with church life? Mm. Well, I think the reason that we wanted to bring it up was it, there's a lot of parallels that could be brought here. Sometimes you have to make decisions that aren't popular. And we can kind of break down United's decision on here and what they should have done. Then we can reverse the uh, the whole discussion here and talk about this, this uh, passenger and whether or not he should have just complied with the airline's request. If the airline, So you're saying if the airline tells you to do something, you should do it. Does that mean if they if you're flying for free and you're wearing something that totally should not be worn out in public anyways and they tell you to change, uh, you should just change? Is that kind of your, your policy? I think if the airline tells you to do something, you're 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 at there. I mean, that's one of the things you agree to when you fly on the airline is you agree to follow the directions. Now, again, we're spending all the time talking about this, but I think the bigger issue is how does this play itself out and how is this mirrored? in church leadership. And I'd be curious to hear your take on that, Sam. Yeah, you know, when someone sits in a seat of honor at our church and they're not supposed to be there, they're in a reserved seat that, you know, one of our longtime members has <laughs> had, you know, we do that. We bloody them up. We drive them down the aisle. We get them out of there. Um, I've never gotten much blowback from from it. I don't understand why United is is getting all this, you know, this blame because, you know, we, we drag people out of church all the time. I mean, it's just you sit in the wrong seat. You sit in you you sit in grandma's seat. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna have some repercussions for that. Pay the consequences. So here's my take. I think that United's to blame because they had a policy that was stupid, and then they enforced a stupid policy. That that's kind of I I cannot stand when people say, "Well, that's the policy." Well, sometimes policies are ridiculous, and there's no security issue here. If you got to follow the policy, and the policy. Okay, so if they did not follow whatever policy it was that they keep saying they followed, then what would have been the consequences? Nobody would have died if those pilots had to go or those that, that airline staff had to go find another flight. So there's a policy that's set up there. Now, how do I translate that into church? Sometimes policies are enacted in churches, and they have policy and procedures, they have bylaws that don't make a lot of sense. And later on, maybe years later, you have sometimes these fights over a policy that should not have ever been enacted in the first place or should have been enacted on a temporary standpoint. So if you have a policy on canceling services or office hours or those sort of things, sometimes those need to be tweaked on a human level. And I think that's what was missing here. There wasn't any human level to this. Uh, as one person put out, well... They got up to $800. The airline could have kept raising that amount. Somebody would have, everybody has a price. Four people would have jumped off that plane at $2,000 a head. There, that's, there's a, you can keep changing the policy. Am I wrong there? I think it goes back to the policy. Yeah, well, there's, actually with the airline case, there's a, there's a, by law, there's a limit. They could only have gone up to $1,350, $1,350. But, um, but they still didn't go there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
in the church, I look at it like this. If you are having to, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, if you're having to fall back on, oh, this is our policy, or oh, this is our policy, or oh, this is our policy, something's wrong there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're constantly having to use your policy as a crutch for something, I, I don't know that that's healthy because policies are simply meant to reflect current practices, um, not um, not the other way around. It's not like the policy drives what you're doing at the church. What you're doing at the church should drive the policies, if, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. you should only be falling back on your policies for the exception. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I... I totally understand. Micah? Well, I was just going to say, I think there is a danger in a lot of churches of over, um, yeah, I think this is going with what Sam just said. We have one problem, and so we create a policy that sort of mandates behavior across the church. I watch churches do this all all the time, when the truth of the matter is, we, you know, we need to be careful creating policy. I mean, there are times when churches need policies. I've got our church has a policy manual. My guess is both of you guys, the churches you're in, have policy manuals. Right. Sure. They're important. They matter. We have employee policy manual that we use for all of our employees. We want standardized policies. Those things matter. I think we have a tendency in a church to have one problem and to say, oh, we don't want that to happen again. So let's set a policy in place so that it doesn't happen again. When the truth of the matter is one problem, if it's a, if it's a singular problem, is often an anomaly. It can be dealt with through leadership and and processes that you already have in place uh, where you don't need to put a policy in place that ties your hands and could lead you to unfortunate, unhelpful behavior in the future. And so I would say be careful of unnecessary policy. Um, I, it just amazes me how often churches have policy upon policy. And of course, maybe the bigger problem in churches is not written policy. It's unstated policy, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother. And for pastors of established churches, particularly pastors who are walking in the door, <clears throat> every church I know of that's an established church has some sort of level of unstated, unwritten policies. And just trying to figure out what those are mm-hmm. is no fun at all for a new pastor. Well, let me ask you guys, because I'm at a more moderately sized church, smaller. I don't have, I don't know if you do, Sam, do y'all have an executive pastor? No, it's me. Okay. So we're of size, we're of size to where I could probably use one, Mm -hmm. but since I'm a control freak, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. I don't don't want to give up that control. I don't want to give give that away to somebody else. I, I, I want, I want all of that power. Well, my question falls kind of in that line. I don't like enforcing policies. I hate it. It puts me in that weird position of being both pastor and boss. And, and I just really don't like it. Now it doesn't matter. I, I should suck it up. That's my job. But how do you guys, I would love some advice on this. Occasionally I'll have a staff member who will need to break policy. Well, so I have to make these judgment calls all the time for this one staff member who wants to leave work every day at this time. Well, I'm a stickler for schedules. And so, and, and we have policies that say we need to go to that time. I think it's just fair. And so how do you guys navigate some of those things where you don't end up making constant judgment calls? Do you just enforce policy? Do you, is that your advice or do you just make constant judgment calls? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so the church I serve is a little bit of a larger staff. And so it's really helpful to have some consistent policies, particularly related to employment 
that we just apply on a standard you know, basis across the staff. All policies like that can be adjusted from time to time in a unique situation, right? So I don't mind adjusting those. But I found one of the most helpful things to do, and I've been doing this for a long time, is to lead, lead individually. And if I could say to um, established church pastors, it's tro- stop trying to be the solo leader of your church. Um, for one, there's, there's wisdom in the council of many, but like what we do at our church, um, where I'm at now is we use a lead team. You know, we, we've got too many pastoral ministry staff for everybody to be a part of that, you know, decision-making body, but we do a lead team where our five lead pastors sit down once a week and we walk through any policy questions, any, you know, anybody that wants to bury off the policy, I'm not going to make those decisions on my own. I'm going to sit in a, in a room with those guys and we're going to make those decisions together. When I was at churches previously where I didn't have a staff of that size, I still almost never made those decisions on my own. I either have two or three people who are volunteers or on staff that just have tenure and wisdom. And I, you know, I may informally create a little leadership team out of them where I have two or three lay people in the church that I respect and I'll sit down you know, I have, and I do that here, by the way, I have one or two laymen that I really highly respect in our church. We go to lunch every month and I have a list of things that I'm going to walk through with them. That's a combination of one, keeping them informed about what's coming. And two, here's some questions I have helped me to think through these decisions. I just don't make decisions by myself. And then when I get to enforce those decisions, I can say, Hey, I've gone together to our team collectively. We believe this is the right decision to make. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think it's good to make a distinction. Mike has brought, Mike has brought up some good points. So, so uh, policies are necessary for HR operational issues, right? I mean, so your stewardship or your finance committee may have uh, a policy about, hey, any time that we bid something out, we need at least two bids or three bids, mm-hmm. you know, so we can compare prices and so that, you know, people don't play favorites. Um, you, you know, you need to have a set policy about how many vacation days are allowed, Um you probably don't need a policy for like how we do the Lord's Supper. So, you know, there's some basic operational HR issues where I think you need those policies. Um, But even in certain cases, you you ask the question, Josh, what do you do about exceptions? Well, I treat them as exceptions. You know, if somebody and my personnel committee has given me leeway as the lead pastor to do that, you know, someone, someone needs just to take off something happened, you know, it's, noon they just need to go for whatever reason go do they need to take a vacation day well you know probably not if they're doing their job they've worked 60 hours that week you know that that's just like hey go do what you got to do make sure your job gets done no worries um so to me the policies are there as a fallback it's it's a Mm -hmm. backstop it's 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 kind of like your bylaws i mean so I would encourage pastors that are out there, if you don't know what's in your bylaws, if you don't know what's in your policies, that is a major problem. Because when a problem arises, from a legal standpoint, that's what you're going to fall back on. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this podcast, go get those policies, go get those bylaws, go get your constitution, make sure you know what's in it. And if it needs to be updated, you know you can work towards updating it. That can be a major issue in a church. You want to be careful about that. But certainly with your policies – a lot of times a committee or even a staff will have the ability to change mm. policy. So it'd be good to just get in there, 
update them to your current practices and be done with it so that if something does happen and someone calls you out on something, you, everyone's going to pull out their bylaws. Everyone's going to pull out their policies. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what's in them, you could find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. So you will be on the wrong um, side. You could, yeah. you could definitely be on the wrong side of that so, one, yeah. So we've approached this from two different angles so far. We've got just dumb policies, and then we've talked about it from a human element that once policies are enacted, there needs to be a human element that they can be changed. They're not the they're not the law of the Medes and the Purge, um, Persians, but it's also not Scripture. You you can change these things. And so, but let's so think, go ahead. Well, hang on. Before you go any further, think about it this way. <clears throat> your policies and your procedures are supports that help facilitate ministry, right? And, and by the way, this is the way I also, um, you know, even, even when it comes to staffing, we think of staff in this way, right? So you have a, a ministry staff and a support staff, and your support staff's responsibility is to support ministry staff accomplishing the leadership that they provide in ministry. Your policies and procedures serve the same, the same um, goal. Here, here's the problem. In too many churches... The policies become the goal. Hmm. They become the priority. Yes. Our job is to execute policy. No, that's absolutely incorrect. Mm-hmm. Our job is not to execute policy. Our job is to fulfill our mission. Policies help serve that end. When policies fail to serve that end, change the dead gum policy. Quit trying to adhere to the policy because we have policies. Policies are a support that step under the, the ministry itself to help facilitate the accomplishment of ministry. That's a great point. And Micah, you're going to have to wait before you say dad policies. I, I didn't have dad, the beat button gum. ready. I, I, so we're going to have to go back and edit this. Dad I, get, look, I get worked up about organizations when support policies and support teams drive the organization. That should mm-hmm. never happen. Right. And, and that happens in churches too. We all know that, right? We've, I mean, we've seen people in support roles and policies and support postures that drive the organization and the organization will inevitably lose its commitment to mission if that's the case. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, another note here is to teach the church about these things because they don't understand. They do view policy and procedure as law. They also, it's like when I constantly, when we're talking about budget at a church and I always say, look, budgets are imaginary numbers that are set. If this money comes in, this is the way we will spend it. When you start teaching them, how these things actually work and what they mean, then they're, oh, okay, we're allowed to change the policies in a certain way. We're allowed to tweak these, but we don't go over there and tweak those things because those things should be a little bit more standard, like your faith statement or your bylaws, etc. But we're coming up on, okay, we got seven minutes, and we need to flip this for just a second. We're talking from the perspective of lead pastors, so we're policy makers. What about if you find yourself in a situation in which you are policy receivers? You are on the, you're sitting at the window aisle. You paid your money, and it doesn't matter if the authority tells you you want to leave. You don't want to leave, whether it's the airline or the police department. What's your advice in approaching those situations? You you know, that's a tough one. So, you know, if you have, you're talking about maybe an elder board at your church or, a personnel committee is telling you to do something. Is that is that what you're saying, Josh? And and you really don't have much say, and they're falling back on the policy and trying to enforce it on you. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, not as kind of remove yourself as a pastor. Uh, that will that will lead to leadership problems. I'm just talking about a member of a church. Say they're listening, or you know what? Oh, okay. we, we have a ton of people that listen to our our podcast that aren't the lead pastor. They're executive pastor. They're associate pastor. Student pastor. What about those situations in which, let's say, the leadership structure, whatever it is, is enforcing a policy you don't agree with? Okay. Yeah, I, I would say pick your battles. I mean, there are times to stand up and fight back. And, and in the case of the doctor who was on the flight, I'm of the opinion, I, I understand, you know, I don't know the guy's past. I don't know him from anyone. But in this one instance, I'm like, I'm with that guy because we've all been there. And and I'm like, good for you, man. Mm. I mean, you, you stood up against something that was an injustice. It's terrible. I get the fine print in the tickets that you buy. I get all that. I understand the technicalities of, oh, they can technically do this. But we're talking about people. And, 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 you know, in your own churches, you know, you can get up there and wave the bylaws and say, technically, we're supposed to do this. You can wave the policy. Technically, we're supposed to do this. But nobody cares because there's a human element. So if you're on the receiving end, I, I would say be careful about the battles you pick. Sometimes it is worth standing up and say, this is wrong. This isn't right. But 99% of the time, it's probably best just to say, you know, I just have a preference or an opinion about that. And it's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say the vast majority of the time, those policies were put in place. For whatever reason, someone thought through them at some point, you know, be very careful about pushing back hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times to do that. Um, so I'm with the United guy on the on the plane in this case. But in most cases in your churches, it's it's probably not near the injustice that we saw uh, on the viral videos this week. Mm. Micah, bad policy. Yeah. What do you do? I have a little bit of a different take than Sam. I actually think the guy shouldn't have resisted that's my my opinion i think united is 80 percent in the in the wrong on the situation but i think the guy should have been angry you know called united and demanded you know i mean there should have been something else done but i don't think you fight security to the point where you get bloodied and you know and let them drag you off the plane that's just me i think you've got authority for a reason and yeah what was done was wrong and it was frustrating and it was unfortunate but you're still under the authority of those there and so my tendency is to say you walk under the authority there until you have an opportunity to do something to change it and then you work in the system and in the processes to change it mm-hmm. uh, so i i mean I, I i do agree that united was predominantly in the wrong in this situation i, I think the guy should have you know should have respected what they asked of him, even if they asked him to do something like get off the plane once he was on it, which they should have never asked him to do. I I guess I wouldn't have resisted to the point he did. So in a church setting, how does that work out? Um, Policies that I don't like, we still function by those policies at the church until we have the time, space, an opportunity to change those policies. Now, I may ridicule a policy. I may make it very clear, this is a bad policy, okay, and, and trying to help create enough pain with respect to the policy that we're going to be able to adjust it, change it. You know, you've heard it said before, change never happens until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. So when it comes to bad policy as a leader, if I know, hey, we're not at the point yet where we can change that policy, I'll try and create pain with respect to the policy in the sense that I'll try and help people understand here's why this is a bad policy. But you're not bloodying them up and 
I'm not blooding anybody. Dragging them down the aisle of the church. I'm not punching anyone. Not that kind of thing. Nothing like that. I'm still functioning by the policy, but I'm trying to do everything in my power to get rid of the policy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think generally speaking, I would agree with Sam. I just would probably disagree a little bit in the execution. Mm. Sure. And I think we're in agreement. Like 99% of the time, you know, you're going to need to work within the system, do what you've said. Here's the here's the thing. I think especially I was going to say especially young pastors, but this can be true of older pastors, too. We need to Sam said it well. He said we need to pick our battles. Absolutely. We too often think things are hills to die on that just frankly are not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we need to be careful. There's a lot of things in our churches that we can work through and around. Yeah. As we get to the point of making change and successful pastors of long term established churches, people who are effective in those environments generally work in, through and around the existing structures and policies until they have the ability, the relational capacity and the tenure and authority to be able to make the changes to get it how it needs to. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so, now, a, now here's the. Go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. No, I was going to close right, so out the conversation. It, if you got more talk. I, I got I got 30 seconds. Can I have 30 seconds, Josh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's our show. Pretty please. Okay, so here's the big difference between the United situation and the church. With the United situation, this guy can fly another airline. It's going to be done. He's never going to have to interact with these people ever again. You know, there's probably going to be a lawsuit that encourages that. that, I think he's about to have a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's there's probably a settlement that's coming where it's like, United, you keep your distance. Doctor, you keep your distance. You guys never have to interact ever again. But that's completely different in the church. So when you're when you're when you're pushing back, you have you have to realize that you know, hey, if you if you throw down, if you're going to throw down with somebody, you're going to be interacting with them every week, sometimes twice a week, week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year. And you know, if if, if they stay in the church, which a lot of people will, you just have to be really careful about that. So I would encourage anyone that's like wanting to change things, not just policies, but anything. Hey, you know, pick your battles carefully because, you know, you're going to have to be around these people going forward and you're going to have to look them in the eye every Sunday um, and and pastor and shepherd them. Yeah. And remember, this, every bit of every one of us, in order to make change in an established church, you have to make withdrawals from a relational bank. And first of all, you've got to make sufficient deposits in that relational bank to be able to validate the withdrawals that you're making. You don't want to, I mean, if you don't have the money in the bank, you can't make the withdrawal, if that makes sense. So one, you've got to spend the time, make the investment to build the case, to be able to make the change. And second of all, when you pull things out of your relational bank to make one change, that leaves you with less to make another change. So you've got to be very intentional and strategic to only make the key changes that are critical and vital to mission health and effectiveness Mm -hmm. and not, not every battle is worth it. And remember, we've got to take the long-term view, not the short-term view. Mm. This may be a policy that needs to be changed. I just said that to someone this week. I, I've got two or three things that I can think of that we need to address, but now is not the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a year to at least before we address those things. I just have other things to deal with right now. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of torn on it. I've, I've always grown up thinking if there's a bad rule, enforce it all the way to the end because eventually it'll become you know, light. This situation's unique. The guy... <laughs> fought something stupid it was a dumb thing to fight and yet he won he really did win the airlines was wrong 
and they lost a ton of money. And they're going to lose a lot more money because he fought against it. And we wouldn't know about this. Nobody would ever know about this. And if he didn't just stand up and if he had just stood up and walked off, he'd have maybe got his $800 if it doesn't get tagged up in some sort of weird thing. And he would have lost. But because he fought it, I still think the human element is the is the person who pulled him out of the seat physically, violently, hurt the guy. That's the only reason we know about this. And so um, I would say there's still policies are stupid. Sometimes people fight over dumb things. But uh, we always got to handle things with a human element. We are out of time here, dadgummit. And we're going to have to uh, ask you all to follow us on Twitter like Paul Casper does. You know, I don't know Paul. Paul is from Tom's. Thomas Town or Thomas Tun, Georgia. Uh, his uh, Twitter handle is P E Caspers, C A S P E R S. He's the pastor of Silverton Baptist Church, but he gave a really cool shout out to us on Twitter. Really nice guy. Appreciate him doing that. So I want to encourage all of you to follow us on Twitter. If you haven't yet, we're at EST Church. Also, remember the best way that you can show your appreciation for the work that we do here is to subscribe rate and review us on itunes that really does help us out quite a bit but thanks again paul for the shout out on twitter we of course will heart that and retweet that for what it's worth we can't wait to talk to you guys next week y'all have a great week